Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Monday, September 25th, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today. The U.S. is ready to provide Kiev with cluster attackums. So this article is from Connor Freeman. He wrote this up on Friday. And it says that the White House is close to deciding it will provide Ukraine with a cluster-armed version of the Army tactical missile systems, known as ATACMS, which have a range of up to nearly 200 miles. And they can be fired from the HIMARS rocket launchers that the U.S. has been sending to Ukraine. And this is according to a report from the Washington Post. So it's interesting, this leaked on Friday that the U.S. um, is going to give attackums to Ukraine, which Ukraine has been looking for for a long time. Uh, President Biden didn't make the pledge publicly while Zelensky was in town, but then the next day the administration leaked to the media that they probably are going to get the attackums after all. And not only are they going to give them these longer-range missiles that can be used to hit targets inside Russia, they're going to give them the variant that has cluster bombs. So these are long-range cluster bombs, not like the artillery shells that the U.S. has been sending that have a range of about 15 miles, I believe, from the howitzers that that they can be fired from. These are the uh, attackums, and they have a range of 190 miles. And this means the U.S. is giving Ukraine cluster bombs that it can use to target Russian territory, to target Crimea. So it's just such a huge risk of escalation now, not only the long-range weapons, but armed with cluster munitions, which as I've covered a lot, they, you know, they are designed to explode in the air and spread these small bomblets or submunitions over a large area. Um, so, you know, even though I'm, I'm not sure exactly how these attack em ver- versions work because they are fired from the HIMARS rocket systems, which is a precision guided, you know, GPS guided system. But with the cluster bombs, I assume that they still you know, that's what makes them cluster bombs is that they explode in the air and, and scatter bombs. So I guess they can target, put a target in, but it's going to kind of spread, scatter the bombs over the general area. And this is just a huge hazard for civilians who can find them years or decades later. Um, so this isn't definite yet. We don't know for sure if the U.S. is going to send these, but it seems likely there was a report in the Washington Post about it, a report in Politico. And then I saw on Saturday, Financial Times also reported that the U.S., was going to arm Ukraine with attackums with cluster bombs. So just a completely reckless escalation. And I covered a few weeks ago that Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, was asked if the U.S. does give Ukraine attackums, can they be used to hit targets inside Russia? And Blinken said targeting is up to Ukraine, which breaks from their the earlier policy of them saying that, no, Ukraine can't use U.S. weapons to target Russia. Now they're saying it's up to Ukraine. So you know, again, this escalation ladder, they continue to climb up it. All right. So the next one here, Ed says that the Ukraine war is good because it weakens Russia. So a new group formed to rally GOP support for Ukraine released an ad this weekend that said U.S. spending on the war in Ukraine is good for the United States because it weakens Russia. So the ad was made by Republicans for Ukraine, which is a campaign launched by the Defending Democracy Together. 
an organization led by neoconservative Bill Kristol, who never saw a war that he didn't like. So this effort comes as support for arming Ukraine is waning among GOP voters with a recent CNN poll finding 71% of Republicans were against Congress authorizing more aid. So the neocons are working hard to get Republicans back on board with this proxy war. And Bill Kristol uh, tweeted this ad out. And it's really something because they're not saying, oh, we need to support Ukraine for freedom or, or for democracy to protect the Ukrainians to, to help them, you know, fight off the Russians. No, this ad just says we're hurting Russia. That's good. Let's keep doing it. So I'll just read uh, some quotes from it. Uh, the ad, the voiceover in the ad said, quote, when America arms Ukraine, we get a lot for a little. Putin is an enemy of America. We've used 5% of our defense budget to arm Ukraine. And with it, they've destroyed 50% of Putin's army. The more Ukraine weakens Russia, the more it also weakens Russia's closest ally, China. America needs to stand strong against our enemies. That's why Republicans in Congress must continue to support Ukraine, end quote. So, the, you know, saying that they destroyed 50% of Putin's army, I don't know where they get that statistic from, considering they mobilized all these new troops since this war started and are manufacturing ammunition and tank at a much higher rate. Um, and then this talking point that, you know, this is hurting China as well. It doesn't make any sense. If anything, it's making, get, you know, it's benefiting China because they're, you know, getting a lot of uh, resources, you know, more oil from Russia at a cheaper price than they get from some other countries. Uh, it's just complete nonsense. I mean, I guess the idea they say that they're deterring, you know, doing what they're doing in Ukraine is going to deter China from you know, go making a move on Taiwan. But I think it's just complete nonsense, this talking point that they're using. And it's interesting, though, again, that they're just saying we're trying to weaken Russia here because that is language that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin used in the early days of the war. That was back in April 2022. He said one of America's goals in the war was to weaken Russia. And that leaves no doubt that this conflict is a proxy war, that it's not about helping the Ukrainians. It's about hurting the Russians. And this has become a talking point to justify more spending among uh, hawks in Congress. Recently, Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, he said that the U.S. was getting its money's worth in Ukraine because Russia is taking losses and no Americans are dying. And this argument really shows that they don't care about Ukrainian lives. That's not important to them at all. They just want to keep this war going to keep Russia bogged down. I mean, I think that's clear as day now. Um you know, there's no denying that at this point. I think it's been clear throughout the war, but it's much more clear now. And anybody that's watching this, I can't see how you could argue against that. All right, so the next one here. Zelensky joins Canadian Parliament's ovation for a Nazi veteran. So this article is from Forward, and it is about when Zelensky went to Canada. So the Canadian Parliament gave a standing ovation on Friday to a 98-year-old immigrant from Ukraine who fought in a Third Reich military formation accused of war crimes. The elderly veteran Yaroslav Hunka was honored during a session in which President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed the lawmakers to thank them for their support since Russia invaded his country saying that Canada has always been on the bright side of history. The Speaker of the House of Commons, Anthony Rhoda, who had compared Zelensky to Winston Churchill, 
recognized a veteran from the Second World War who he said fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians and continues to support the troops today, even at his age of 98. The assembly then rose to applaud a man in a khaki uniform standing on the balcony who saluted, according to a screenshot from Canadian television. So the man was identified as Hunka from the Associated Press, which published a photograph showing Zelensky smiling and raising a fist during the ovation. And the AP said that he fought with the first Ukrainian division in World War II before later immigrating to Canada. And the first Ukrainian division is another name for the 14th Waffen Grenadier Division of the SS, the military wing of the Nazi party. So, yeah, I mean, the guy fought on the side of the Nazis, and uh, it's just funny that they gave him this big standing ovation while Zelensky was there. And the Canadians are already trying to, you know, uh, backtrack from this. The the Speaker of the Parliament who announced him has apologized, um, but it's just, again, kind of funny to see them do that while Zelensky's there. You know, with all the, uh, we know that there are neo-Nazis you know, that are part of the Ukrainian military as much as the U.S. and, you know, liberals in the U.S. and Canada want to ignore those, you know, neo-Nazis that they're funding uh, in this proxy war against Russia. Um, All right. So the next one here, Polish Prime Minister to Zelensky, never insult the Polish people again. So Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki on Friday said that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky must never insult Polish people again as Warsaw and Kiev are at odds over Ukrainian grain imports. So he said this at an election rally on Friday. He said, quote, I want to tell President Zelensky never to insult Poles again, as he did recently during his speech at the UN, end quote. So he was talking about Zelensky's speech at the UN General Assembly, where he targeted Poland and two other EU countries for continuing to ban the import of Ukrainian grain, and he accused them of aiding Russia. And after that speech, Morawiecki was asked if the grain spat would impact Polish support for Ukraine, and he replied by saying that Poland was no longer arming the country. A spokesman for the Polish government clarified the next day, So this was this past Thursday. And he said that Poland would provide what they have already promised Ukraine, but nothing more due to a series of absolutely unacceptable statements and diplomatic gestures appearing on the Ukrainian side. So Bloomberg reported on Friday that the U.S. was seeking further clarification from Poland on its support for Ukraine. And Morawiecki did say that they are not going to interfere with weapon shipments from other countries that transit through Poland, which that would be a huge deal if they said they were going to stop that. I mean, the U.S. wouldn't let that happen because that's basically where all, as far as we know, where all the NATO weapons are being shipped in is through Poland. Um, So this spat between Ukraine and Poland, again, Morawiecki said this latest thing at an election rally, this comes ahead of their Polish parliamentary elections, which are scheduled for October 15th, and the ruling Law and Justice Party has come under criticism for being too supportive of Ukraine. So I guess this is, you know, them kind of trying to counteract that, is uh, this rhetoric and cutting off Ukraine. Uh, That's at least part of it. I'm sure that they are actually not happy with what Zelensky has been saying. 
Uh, all right, I just want to take this moment to mention our sponsor for today's show, and that is the Expat Money Summit, which is coming up. So if you go to expatmoneysummit.com, you can put in your email for to get your free ticket. You could also follow the link that's in the YouTube description or in the show notes if you're listening to the audio version. And this summit is hosted by Mikkel Thorup, who runs Expat Money, and his work is focused on helping people finding, uh, you know, who are looking to live in another country, helping people with the steps that it takes to actually do that. And his website, you know, their project at Expat Money is a very useful resource. Um, You know, if you follow them just about any country you could think of, there's articles about what it would take to move there, what it's like to live there, and things like that. And at this conference, which will be held from October 2nd to October 6th, um, you're going to be learning about residencies, uh, how to obtain residencies, how to protect your wealth, which is a big thing. And notable speakers include Peter Schiff, Mark Faber, Dr. Ron Paul, who I saw Mikkel tweet that he's going to discuss if the world is on the brink of World War III, because of course that really affects expats and people who want to live in other countries. Other speakers include Doug Casey, Jim Rogers, and Tom Woods. Um, so go check that out, expatmoneysummit.com, or follow the link in the description. All right, back to the news here. Zelensky says that he met with BlackRock CEO in his trip to the U.S. So Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Sunday that during his recent trip to the U.S., he met with BlackRock CEO Larry Fink and other U.S. business and finance leaders to discuss investment in Ukraine's reconstruction. So Zelensky wrote on Telegram, quote, The American entrepreneurs and financiers confirmed their readiness to make large-scale investments in our country immediately after the end of the war and the receipt of security guarantees. We are working for the victory and reconstruction of Ukraine, end quote. So CNN reported that while Zelensky was in New York for the UN General Assembly, he attended a meeting convened by J.P. Morgan Chase, to discuss Ukraine's reconstruction. A source told CNN that the meeting was attended by former Google CEO Eric Schmidt, Michael Bloomberg, uh, Robert Kraft, who owns the New England Patriots, hedge fund billionaire Bill Ackman, former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, and billionaire Barry Sternlich. So it's interesting that Kissinger uh, was there too, 100-year-old Kissinger. So the the destruction of Ukraine provides a huge investment opportunity for American corporations, as the World Bank has estimated reconstruction could cost over $500 billion. Ukrainian officials have put the price tag for their recovery plan at $750 billion. So earlier this year, bankers from J.P. Morgan traveled to Kiev and they signed a memorandum of understanding with Zelensky related to Ukraine's reconstruction. They're going to help them set up a fund with, you know, that will start with tens of billions of dollars in private capital to go toward investment in Ukraine, in Ukraine's reconstruction. So it's just, uh, this is, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in this, in, in Ukraine's reconstruction. And it's kind of part of it that I think um, why a lot of, you know, American corporations, you know, support the proxy war because, you know, they can come in and uh, make a lot of money afterwards in the reconstruction. Um, all right. So the next one here, McCarthy restores Ukraine funding to the DOD bill. So this article is from Kyle Anzalone. 
House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced on Saturday that the House would vote on a Pentagon funding bill that includes aid for Ukraine. Initially, the congressman said the $300 million in aid for Kiev would be voted on separately from the annual Department of Defense spending bill. So this is not the Ukraine aid that the the White House has requested. This is different. Um, And this is the Pentagon funding bill that McCarthy has failed, I believe, twice now to move forward in the House because enough Republicans voted against it. And it initially did not include $300 million in aid for Ukraine. That's part of the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. Um, But now apparently he's including it, I guess, in an effort to get more votes. And again, this is just for the Pentagon funding bill. It's not the $24 billion that the White House has requested. I'm sure eventually he's going to roll over on that too. Um, But it looks like, you know, there is they need to pass these funding bills. Well, they don't need to pass the Pentagon funding bill. They need to pass at least a short-term, what they call a stopgap funding bill to avert a government shutdown by September 30th. And as Kyle mentions in the article, you know, they call it a government shutdown, but it's, you know, the government goes on. It's, you know, just certain services get suspended. Um, And the Pentagon did exempt Ukraine operations from the shutdown. So the proxy war will continue as well whether or not uh, the you know they pass a funding bill by the end of next week, be at the end of this week. Um, all right, so the next one here, Macron says that France will withdraw from Niger. So it looks like the French are backing down. So French President Emmanuel Macron said Sunday that uh, France will remove its troops and ambassadors from Niger as the military junta that took over the country in July wants French forces out. So Macron said, quote, France has decided to bring back its ambassador, and in the coming hours, our ambassador will return to France. And we will put an end to our military cooperation with the Niger authorities, end quote. So the comments show that France is backing down from its hardline position on the military junta that ousted Nigerian President Mohamed Bazoum. Macron previously strongly backed threats from the economic community of West African states, ECOWAS, to intervene militarily if Bazoum was not reinstated. And Macron also rejected demands for the French ambassador to leave Niger. But now he's getting out of there. And France has a total of 1,500 troops in Niger. And Macron said the military withdrawal would happen gradually, likely being completed by the end of the year. He said that the pullout would be done in cooperation with the junta because we want it to take place peacefully. So this is a good sign that uh, a war might not break out after all over Niger um, if France is getting out of there. So the U.S. also has troops in Niger. They have about 1,100. There's no sign yet that the Americans have been asked to leave. U.S. military officials have said they're they're considering relocating a major drone base that's in Niger. But there have been indications that the U.S. is willing to cooperate with the Niger junta to maintain its military presence. But the French, uh, you know, that's it. This Niger served as a major base of its operations. They were forced to leave Mali um, after the coup there. There was two coups there in recent years. They kicked the French out. Now you have Niger kicking the French out. Um, so, you know, it's, it's all these former French, uh, colonies that, you know, there is kind of this neo-colonialism when it comes to France's access to their resources and they got fed up with it and kicked them out. 
Uh, all right, so the next one here, the U.S. is in talks with Vietnam on a major arms deal. So the U.S. and Vietnam are in talks on a major arms deal in what would be the largest ever weapons transfer between the two nations. And this was uh, from a Reuters report on Friday. The report said that the deal could include Vietnam buying a fleet of U.S.-made F-16 fighter jets, but sources told Reuters that the talks were in the early stages and that everything was subject to change. This potential weapon sale was a topic of conversation between U.S. and Vietnamese officials in meetings over the past month. So the U.S. has been looking to boost ties with Vietnam and other countries in the region as part of its strategy against China. Vietnam has sought to balance relations between the two powers, a strategy that its diplomats call bamboo diplomacy, but the U.S. and Vietnam have been increasing their ties, and they elevated their relationship to a comprehensive strategic partnership when President Biden visited the Southeast Asian nation earlier this month. So Biden was just in Vietnam. And with that upgrade, Vietnam has elevated the U.S. to the same diplomatic status as Russia and China. From Beijing's perspective, any major U.S. arms sale to Vietnam would be viewed as part of the U.S. military buildup in the region aimed at China. So like China, Vietnam has sweeping claims to the South China Sea, and the disputed waters are a significant source of tensions between Hanoi and Beijing. And if you look at the map of their disputes, again, Vietnam makes very big claims to the seas. So, uh, you know, they have a lot of overlapping claims. And this is an area potentially where Vietnam could deploy F-16s. They're militarizing, you know, their outposts in the South China Sea uh, as well. And one aim of this potential deal for, for the U.S. side would be to reduce Vietnam's reliance on Russian weapons. According to Reuters, since the U.S. lifted an embargo on Vietnam in 2016, U.S. arms exports to the country have been limited to Coast Guard vessels and trainer aircraft, while Russia has supplied Vietnam with 80% of its weapons. So it's something, you know, imagine the U.S., which bombed, you know, killed millions and millions of people in Vietnam, you know, not that long ago, you know, selling them F-16s. It's something people probably couldn't have fathomed uh, not that long ago. Uh, all right, so the next one here, the U.S. pledges $100 million to the U.N. intervention in Haiti. This is another one from Kyle. This is over at the Libertarian Institute. Uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken explained how the U.S. plans to support a proposed U.N. deployment to Haiti aimed at restoring order in the country. The White House intends to spend $100 million to support the Kenyan soldiers sent to the Caribbean nation. Washington believes the troops could be deployed to Haiti within a few months. On Friday, Blinken hosted a meeting in New York of countries that support Washington's effort to get the UN Security Council to approve a resolution that would see Kenya lead an international force. Um, Blinken went on to pledge $165 million in military assistance to Haiti and Kenya. Um, so, you know, if this intervention happens, which it looks like it's moving along, that they um it will be completely US funded and you know US financed and backed completely enabled by the US while the US isn't involved uh directly and uh you know we know a lot of people in Haiti even though there's uh some bad you know a bad situation on the ground there's been a lot of violence they don't want foreign intervention you know there's a very dark history with that especially with UN you know so-called peacekeepers coming into the country 
You know, previously, they've raped underage girls, and they were responsible for a cholera epidemic that killed, I believe, 10,000 Haitians. Um, but that doesn't matter to the U.S. They just want to send this force in there, it looks like. Um, all right, so the last story here is an interesting one. Senator Menendez indicted on a scheme benefiting Egypt. So this article is from Kyle. This came out on Friday that Senator Rob Menendez, his wife, and three businessmen have all been indicted by a federal grand jury in a corruption scheme. The New Jersey Democrat and his spouse, Nadine Menendez, allegedly received hundreds of thousands of dollars in exchange for enriching and protecting the three men and supporting the Egyptian government. The scandal has caused Menendez to step down as the head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So Menendez is a very important, uh, influential senator. As the head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, he has a lot of sway over U.S. foreign policy. And this Department of Justice indictment alleges that he was accepting bribes, essentially, from Egypt to approve arms sales. Uh, to get arms sales pushed through. So the indictment reads, quote, from at least 2018 up to and including in or about 2022, Menendez and Nadine Menendez engaged in a corrupt relationship with three New Jersey associates and businessmen. Uh, Menendez and Nadine Menendez agreed to and did accept hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes in exchange for using Menendez's powers and influence as a senator to seek to protect and enrich these three businessmen, and to benefit the Arab Republic of Egypt, end quote. Now, one of them ran a halal business, and uh, he was helping them out there. And they say that the bribes include cash, gold, payments toward a home mortgage, compensation for a low or no-show job, a luxury vehicle, and other things. The DOJ has valued this at $500,000 in bribe money that they, that they say they located, and that's just what they found. They raided his home, and they found uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands in cash, I believe, stuffed into suit pockets and stuff. They found gold bars. So, you know, it's not looking good for Menendez here. So he hasn't stepped down as a senator. Uh, He has stepped down from the head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and he faced a corruption charge back in 2017, but was not convicted due to a hung jury. So if you want to check out more details on this indictment, and these people that he was uh, benefiting, um, go check out Kyle's article. He wrote a pretty thorough, uh, he has a pretty thorough write-up of it. Uh, but that is it for the news for today. Please go check out our viewpoints. One from Ted Snyder. NATO keeps saying things NATO doesn't let you say. One from William J. Astore. Imagining a progressive Pentagon. One from Eli Clifton. Wall Street Journal conceals Saudi funding of pro-Saudi nuke deal source. One from Michael C. Desch, The Tragedy of Volodymyr Zelensky. And one from Caitlin Johnstone, This War Wasn't Just Provoked, It Was Provoked Deliberately. Uh, but that is everything for me. Please, uh, you could like, subscribe on YouTube, or if you watch on Odyssey Rumble. If you listen to the podcast version, especially on Apple, um, you could always leave a review. Stuff like that really helps out. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Dave. Follow Antiwar.com on Twitter. I'll be back tomorrow with some more news for you. I hope everyone had a good weekend. Thanks for listening.